praise God. Well, come on, somebody shout, glory. It's a little quiet in here for me. Come on. You guys alive tonight? Praise God. Jesus raises from the dead, man. Hallelujah. Most awesome news ever. Better than any political party platform or better than what the Muslims have, better than what the Hindus have. Better than what the higher Krishnas have. He's raised from the dead. Hallelujah. Praise God. Excuse me why I encourage myself in the Lord here for a minute. Hallelujah. He's risen from the dead. Shout of victory. It's the sign that shows that the church is different than anything else that's in the world. How can you be happy right now? Because Jesus is alive. Why aren't you afraid of COVID? Because if I die, it's an upgrade. (laughs) Praise God, brand new body that doesn't hurt anymore, that's never going to sneeze or cough. No joint pain, hallelujah. How can Jesus, what a body we'll have, that can pass through a wall and eat a ham sandwich? Think about it. When Jesus came out of the tomb, he walked in, passed through the walls, the Bible says, and had a meal with the disciples. You say, well, how in the world does somebody go through a wall that's material, but then eat food that's material without it falling out of their stomach? I don't know. But that's the body that Jesus had, has, and it's the body you're going to have and I'm going to have. Amen? Amen. Praise God. When the voice of the archangel, when the sound of the last trump shall sound, then we who are alive shall be changed in the twinkling of an eye. Now, you know, they didn't have cameras back then as fast as we do now, but if you search that out, we, our bodies will be changed in the glorified body quicker than the fastest camera shutter that we have today. I mean, instant, boom, changed. And you say, well, what kind of body will be that? And uh, I like what this one brother said. They said, uh, hey, you know, uh, when God made Adam and Eve, I don't think they had belly buttons. And one guy said, yeah, they did. Because when God made Adam and Eve, he stood them up and he said, you're done and you're done. (laughs) That's just a little humor for you this morning or evening. Praise God. So where are we at now? Do you know? What book are we in? Second Peter. That's right. People wonder about the silliest things when they get to heaven. Is there going to be dinosaurs? How did, uh, you know, became Mary's sister? Crazy questions that people want to talk about. When there's so much marvel in the scriptures, why in the world do we sit there and ask such crazy questions like that? When there's so many things that we're going to have to do in the new order that Jesus Christ is bringing. You know, we hear all this now. I remember in the 70s and the 80s when I first used to listen to people like Hal Lindsey and 
Different ones talk about the last days and the world order and the new world order was something, you know, uh, way out there. Now they're just saying it like right on regular TV now. I mean, it's in the broadcast, the Great Reset, the new order. It's all here, guys. We are in the last days. I mean, there's, there's so much... They're talking about, you know, the Bible says in the book of Revelations that without the mark of the beast in your hand or your forehead, you will not be able to buy or sell. Technology like that, in 1970, 1980, it seemed like that was a far out thing. Now, they're trying to get people to have it before you can even get on an airplane. Okay? Church, we are in the last days. This hour is the greatest hour to open up your Bibles and evangelize to people that you know. Because you can just say, watch CNN, and you can take them right to the book of Revelation and say, there it is right there. We're in the last days. And, um, and man, praise God, this is going to be the most victorious hour of his church that the world has ever seen. Amen. More power, more discernment. I mean, the gifts of the Spirit flowing to the greatest degree that the earth has ever seen. Smith Wigglesworth prophesied that in the days before Jesus Christ comes back, that we shall have the Word and the Spirit married together. Amen? And there will be a mighty, mighty harvest. Look, people have good teaching. People have plenty of literature out there. But I'll tell you what, the Muslim cannot raise from someone from the dead. They can't cast out devils. They can't speak with new tongues. They can't lay hands on the sick and they will recover. You know, I heard a guy say in 2014, he was flying on an airplane to go preach to some pastors in South Africa and he said, Lord, I don't know what to say. I got a stack of sermons for pastors. I don't know what to say. He, He said, tell the Lord I want my church back. Tell tell them to start speaking in tongues again and start laying hands on the sick and start working miracles again. I want my church back. We heard a couple weeks ago the greatest things that God has given to the church is these signs shall follow them to believe. We don't need another classroom. We need demonstration of power, amen? And that's what Peter's gonna talk to us about in this letter you were here last week for the review, you know that Peter is about to lose his life. And he said, I need to tell you a few things before I leave so that you will always remember them. We left off in verse four where it says, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. Exceeding great and precious You know, we talked last week about how we haven't just been saved to go sit up in a cloud somewhere. We've been saved to rule and reign with Christ when he returns to the earth. We've been saved to actually help Christ defeat his enemies when he returns to the earth. Amen? The last days when Jesus Christ comes back to the earth, to judge the earth, the church will be with him. It will be like the conquest of Joshua in the land of Canaan, taking out the enemies of God. 
But right now, we're in a spiritual boot camp. We're like in, it's like we're in, you know, behind the scenes. The Lord has, has dropped the Holy Spirit behind enemy lines, and he's going around recruiting those that will hear the message of his glorious gospel of peace and grace. So we have precious promises. They're great promises. And look at this. And one of them is, is that you might be partakers of the divine nature. We talked a little bit last week about the righteousness of God. We are the righteousness of God in him. I didn't make that up. That's in the Bible. Corinthians tells us that. And we are partakers of the divine nature. Having escaped, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So we've escaped corruption. What causes the corruption in the world? Tells us right there, lust. Lust causes the corruption. James tells us that. You know, lust is the first thing that happens before sin is conceived. First there's a lust, then you act upon that lust, and then sin is, is conceived. That's, we learned about that in our study in James. We don't sit there when we're tempted, say that I'm tempted of God. Man is tempted when he's drawn away through his own lust, and he acts upon that lust, and then that's when sin is conceived, amen? So, you know, there's no such thing as the devil made me do it. That's not Bible. You did it. When you stand before God, when the unbeliever stands before God, they cannot say that someone made me do that. Amen? But praise God, we, the believer, through the partaker of a being in a, of a divine nature, we've escaped corruption that is in the world through lust. And also, in other words, we, through our faith, have escaped the corruption of our own lust. All right? Through faith in him and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we have learned to put down the corruption, to walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the what? Lusts of the flesh. All right? That's Galatians. Now, look at this. And besides this, give all diligence... Giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. Praise God. I bring my water here. There it is. Everybody say virtue. Praise God. Get, bear with me, man. I'm going to open up my other Bible that I like to write in so I can remember a couple of things to refresh my memory about some of these words. Because the thing I love about using the King James Bible is it makes me open up my dictionary because I just don't use some of these words anymore. But the thing is, when I do open up my dictionary, it makes me smart. Amen? How many know that when you study to show thyself approved, it makes you smart? And we're going to see that that's important here in the next couple of verses. All right, so he says, now look, we, all, we learned last week we all get a measure of faith to believe. 
Add to your faith virtue and virtue to knowledge and knowledge to temperance and to temperance patience and to patience godliness and to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness charity. So we have to add some things to our life as a Christian. And one of the things that he tells us add to our faith is virtue. Now, when I think of the word virtue, I think of that story of the woman with the issue of blood, amen? It says he perceived that virtue came out of him, right? Well, this is a different word. This is not the same Greek word as it is the English word. Uh, This word virtue, the definition is, is add to your faith, the definition of virtue or ariet is a victorious course of thought, a feeling or action. So add to your faith a victorious course of thinking, feeling, or action. Virtue. Not the virtue that Jesus said, I perceive virtue came out. That's dynamis where we get the word dynamite for explosive or powerful, all right? That's not what he's talking about here. He's saying, add to your faith a victorious mindset. Praise God. A victorious course of thought. Add to that virtue knowledge, all right? So educate. Educate yourself Have spiritual understanding is what he's saying there. Read your Bible, study your Bible, um, get wisdom from the scriptures. Nothing else will add. Another Another way to say knowledge would be a spiritual understanding, all right? So don't be ignorant concerning the scriptures. So add to your knowledge temperance. This is where we get the word self-control, all right? Um, Another way to say it is alert discipline. Alert discipline, I like that. Add to your faith an alert discipline. Um, We use the word temperance. It makes me think of the temperance movement. Remember that back in before uh, the the prohibition days? What was the temperance movement? Well, they discovered how to take, you know, go from 12% alcohol to like 85 proof alcohol. And it was destroying the men in society. It was destroying them. It was like a heroin epidemic. You know, we had this, uh, you know, in the 90s and 2000s, we had a a serious um, uh, opium epidemic here in the States, you know, through, uh, what's that pill that they were... Thank you, brother. We had a serious Oxycontin epidemic in just in our state here. The I-75 was the drug highway for that stuff. And it was taking people out left, right, and center. West Virginia, Kentucky, Ohio, Tennessee. An epidemic of Oxycontin. Well, there was an epidemic of 85-proof alcohol before the temperance movement. People were losing their discipline. They were losing their guard. The Bible says, be not drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. 
I love that word debauchery. It means the letting down of the guard. You know why I don't drink? Because I will do stupid things if I do. Okay? Young people, if you let your guard down and have more than a couple, which one always leads to two, which always leads to four, which always leads to six, before you know it, you're doing stupid things. So the best thing you can do is Coca-Cola. But like my dad always said, if you're a drunk, don't go to a bar and order a Coca-Cola. Go to Speedway. Now, where were we? Temperance. We got to have an alert discipline. We cannot let the things, we cannot be ignorant in the devices of the devil to draw us away from the things, the precious, exceeding promises that God has for us to take on the divine nature. Amen? Because let me tell you something. The divine nature, the minute you got born again, your spirit was born again, it's in you already. It's in you. That's called justification. We've talked about that before. When you're born again, you're justified. You're born again. You're the righteousness of God. It is in your spirit, man, but your mind and your will and your emotions don't know it. And you need the Holy Spirit to sanctify us, to draw us over onto God's side, out of the carnal side, out of the fleshly side. It's like this big tug of war. And if you don't have temperance, you're not going to, you're not going to win the battle of sanctification in your life without temperance. The other thing that he says we should add to temperance or self-control is patience, all right? Patience. And that's what Paul's first letter was about. Patience is endurance. Um, I like to think of another uh, way of patience is long-suffering. Learn to suffer. Learn to suffer. You know, why do we have a generation that, that thinks it's entitled to no pain? Where have we ever been promised that we do not have to have pain? They don't want to feel pain in their body. They don't want to experience pain in their emotion. They don't want to, you know, they don't, nothing. It's, it's wrong. You, hey, look, the Bible actually says we will have suffering. We will have tribulation. We will have pain. But we must Press through, endure, amen? We must endure. Those people going to the Olympics in a couple of weeks, they're not going there because they experienced a pain-free life. So I like to think of patience is endure some pain, endure some suffering. If someone tells you you can't have something, deal with it. Get used to the word no, The other thing we should add to patience is godliness. Now, another way to say godliness is I find this is a reverence for the things of God, a reverence for the things of God, that, that you have great respect for the things of God, that you don't take them lightly. All of you here that are sitting here tonight that have come to 
a Wednesday service. This is part of our church calendar. Our church calendar is Sunday morning service, Wednesday evening Bible study, Friday prayer. That's the services that the church has through the week, you know? And it's a good thing to reverence the church calendar. It's a good thing. It shows godliness, shows character. Now, the other thing that we should, another way to say godliness would be, um, I like this, reverent wonder, reverent wonder. I'll tell you a way I show reverent wonder in the sanctuary is when I come through these doors and I enter God's house, I'm not going to have ACDC blaring on my phone. Okay, I wouldn't let one, you know, I know with the, during the uh, 4th of July, we played uh, that, one, that one song by what's his name. It was secular song. And even when I pressed play, I thought it would be kind of cool. But as it was playing, I was kind of like, why did I play that? You know, why did I, you know, why did I do that? Because this is a holy place. And we got to reverence God's sanctuary. Don't have Super Bowl in God's house, the sanctuary. You know, when my boys are cutting up or getting out of control, I, I have to settle them down. Hey, boys, hey, come on, man. This ain't romper room. Have some reverence for the house of God. So godliness is a deep respect for, for spiritual or godly things. Look at verse 7 says, and add to that godliness, brotherly kindness. Now, this brotherly kindness is, is an affection or that word that we talked about, phileo, a brotherly love. Have a brotherly love for each other. Amen? And um, it's, I like to think of it as kindness. Be warm and friendly. Okay, when somebody greets you, don't ignore them or don't brush them off. You know, here's another thing. What, so give me some examples of phileo. All right, here's an example of phileo. You want to know what, what phileo looks like, or brotherly kindness? If someone walks into the room, greet them. Don't just sit there. If, you, if, you, if someone walks in the room and... Uh, and you're just sitting there and you watch him walk in the room, you just watch him walk by. That's awkward. All right, brotherly kindness, show some warmth, show some friendliness, make them feel welcome. Make them, you know, it's kind of, you ever walked into a room and people are talking and nobody acknowledges you? You feel like an idiot. You feel like maybe you should just turn around and walk back out. Okay, phileo love says, hey, brother, even if it's just a simple, hey, brother, how you doing? And continue your conversation. Don't ignore them. Here's another thing. If you walk into the room and, and, and people are doing things and don't, you know, just a salutation is a wonderful, warm-hearted thing to do. A greeting and what do you call someone you, when you tell somebody goodbye? Is that a, a salute or a salutation? I forget what it's called. Just highs and bys, common courtesies. That, you know, you can make somebody feel like they're, they're cared about. You know, just, just common decency. Um, 
You know, when, when I'm in a conversation with somebody and there's two or three gathered around and we're talking and, and someone comes up and my shoulder's kind of back to them, you know, I, I kind of step out and make the circle bigger, make the person feel welcome in the conversation. This is ways that you can show brotherly kindness. But I'll tell you what, a simple greeting and a simple, love you guys, see you later, those kind of things go a long way. Or you see someone walking out the door, hey, brother, have a great one, man. Make them feel like someone even knows they're leaving the room. It's good stuff, good practice. So that's phileo. All right, then we got to go up a step further than phileo, though, is we got to have what it's called have charity. I love the word charity. The English translators, they decided not, they tried to emphasize the difference in love and use that word charity, and that's agape. That's an unconditional love. Now, we can't muster that up. The Bible says the love of God, the agape of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. You can't, there's nothing you can do to stir that up. I mean, you can stir it up, but it was put there by God. All right? So that's encouraging because there are some people that you may not really have a lot of phileo for or a brotherly love for. Okay? But I'll tell you what you better have for him. You better have some agape. And that's put there by the Holy Ghost, amen? It's unconditional. Praise the Lord. So you can see those seven things that we're supposed to add to our faith. And it's important that we work on these things, all right? It's not just, they're not works, but they're things that will help you as a Christian. They'll help me as a, as a Christian. And what will they help us do, all right? We'll look at verse 8. It says, for if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. All right? So these seven things will help what? One, you will not be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Another word there for barren is the word idle. If you add to these things, you will not be idle in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. You will be moving and active doing the things that God has called you to do. How many know God has called each and every one of us in here to a purpose? We all have a purpose and we all have a design that has been put there by God. Each and every one of us have something to do. We have a reason to be here. If not, we would have got raptured as soon as we believed. Now, by adding these seven things to your life, you will actually, you'll, you'll accelerate in that purpose, amen? You will not be unfruitful in it, nor idle or barren. Um, because... And do you all... Well, I was going to say, do you... Do we always, you know, when you, you, once you establish, once you have these things, is it always there in your life? No. Those of you that know me, I'm not always very patient, you know, especially if I'm hungry. I have a real bad case of the hangries. You know what a hangry is? You're, you're hungry, therefore you're angry. Um, you know, I, I sold 
I told Pastor Darlene tonight, I said, I'm sorry I was such a grump on Sunday because, you know, we had a little meeting back there and it was after church and it was long and the morning was gone and the afternoon was upon us and my belly was a grumbling and I just wasn't the most, uh, you know, patient man. But I, I have to add those things to my life. I have to say, hey, take it easy. You know why I lacked patience? Because I didn't have any temperance. No endurance. Had to add to myself to those things, all right? These kind of things will help you, but you will not always succeed, but you gotta, that's the goal, amen? That's what I was trying to get to. That's the goal. If you don't want to be barren or unfruitful. Now, let me talk to you a little bit about bearing fruit while we have a minute here, all right? This thing about bearing fruit, we see it all the time in Jesus' ministry. Jesus wants his disciples to bear fruit, to be fruitful, all right? To, um, to be fruitful is to have increase. It's to have things, you know, he wants our life to not be dead and withered, but to always have fresh growth, have, 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 have things that are good for the earth. You know, he wants you to be good for the earth. When people come around you, they want to, they want to think, poof, my day is actually a little better now that I've been around you today. Okay? Um, so let's talk about this bearing fruit for a minute here. Um, I think the best place to start would be in John chapter 15. So let's go there a minute. Say amen when you get there. John 15, the gospel of John. And um, those of you that have been in church for a while, you know this verse a lot, very well. And it's going to be John 15. And let's just go from the beginning of the chapter. Jesus said, I am the true vine and my father's the husband or the, you know, the, the farmer. Every branch in me that bears not fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he purges it that it may bring forth more fruit. Now, that's a good principle there to know because once you know, the rose bushes come out and the beautiful rose flowers, you know, if you just keep letting that rose bush go without trimming it back, pretty soon you're not gonna have very many flowers. You know, when it, once it has fruit, then you go and you cut the branch down and new growth comes. And it's very hard on the believer. It's hard on me, and I'm sure it's hard on you when you have something that's really fruitful for the Lord. It's really had a powerful effect. And then all of a sudden, that's not in your life anymore. And you keep trying to like do that again. It could be a ministry in church. You know, you've had fruit in one ministry, but you feel like God is calling you out of that ministry and, you know, into something else maybe. So, you know, there's a purging there. There's a chopping away of one thing, and it hurts for a little bit. You feel like, I don't feel like I'm doing anything. You know, it's not where you might try to go back there. It's, it's not really having the effect that it used to have. All right? What's happening there? Clip, clip, but... Where the clipping comes, where the purging comes, that's where the new growth comes. But the new growth takes time, takes a little bit of time. But I'm going to tell you what, 
I don't know what it was, but when my wife taught me how to trim rose bushes back in England, when I would cut the rose off, maybe it was just me, but the rose, the second rose always smelled better than the first rose. I don't know why that was. And I'm telling you, when God takes one ministry out of your life and you let him, let him purge that and let yourself be patient and endure for a little bit, the next ministry that comes in your life, it'll be better than the last. Because that's the way God is. We just go from strength to strength, from glory to glory. Amen? That's a little side trail. I don't know, maybe someone needed to hear that. But verse 3 says this. Now look here. Now you are clean or you're purged to bear fruit through the word which I've spoken unto you. All right? The word is a good tool. The word is a good, uh, what do you call those things you use to clip bushes with, honey? Pruners. There we go. The word is a good pruner. And I have spoken it unto you. Now look at verse four. Now abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot what? Bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine. No more than can you except you abide in me. So we know Jesus is saying, hey, you're not gonna bear fruit unless you abide in me, okay? You're not going to actually get to where you're supposed to get to in God on your own. You're not actually going to get to where you're supposed to get to unless you abide in him. And by abiding in him, what does he use to create growth? The word. So you're not going to grow unless you abide in him and you grow in the word of God. Some of you that know me, you know I've been on your case, or I'll get, you know, you're always here. be in church, be in Bible study, get under the word. Why? Because it's important. It's important for growth. Because what you do for God will be but a short moment, but the growth from abiding in him, it lasts for eternity. So he says, so the first point we got to know about, about fruit bearing fruit is we can't do it without abiding in Jesus, all right, without abiding in him. And abiding in him is not just saying, I believe in Jesus, okay? Abiding in him is being with him, walking with him, being in his word, being in the presence of God, being with his body. You know, you're, you're the, you are the closest thing to Jesus that I have in the physical, other than the Holy Spirit. You are the body of Christ, the Bible says. So when I, when I reach out to you, you are Christ's body. You are the physical, tangible thing that God has left in the earth to represent him. Amen? And so when I abide with you, I abide with him. Now, looky here. The next thing about being fruitful is um, let's go over to uh, Mark eleven twelve. So he says, you cannot bear fruit except you abide in me. Now, look over here in Mark 11, the gospel of Mark. And... Um, Verse 12, say amen when you're there. 
So, verse 12, on the morrow when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry, Jesus was hungry. And seeing a fig tree afar off, having leaves, he came, if happily he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs was not yet, was not, or the time of figs was not, or there was no figs on there. So the thing you got to know about figs, according to the Bible dictionaries, is the fig always, the leaves always precede the fruit, or they grow together. All right, that's how figs trees work. I've never planted one, so I'm not an expert on it, but I trust the uh, Bible dictionaries. And they say that when the fig tree grows, so when Jesus saw the tree afar off and it had leaves, because the fig tree had leaves, he was expecting there to be fruit on the tree, okay? But it says here, when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, Leaves, but no fruit. All right, say that with me. Leaves, but no fruit. So Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And the disciples heard it. The figs always precede the leaves. And so what we have here is a form of religion but denying the power of, all right? Um, This tree had the appearance that it should be fruitful. It looked like it was something good that would have fruit on it. So it had an appearance of fruit or it had the appearance of being good, but it did not have what it needed to have. And when I got to thinking about figs and this leaves, fig leaves, fig leaves, the tree had leaves but no fruit. It got me thinking, remember that story back in Genesis chapter three? What did Adam and, Le- Adam and leaves, what did Adam and Eve sow on them? It says fig leaves. It says they made them aprons, Genesis 3, 7, if you're taking notes. Turn there with me real quick. Genesis 3, 7. Genesis 3, 7 says this, and the eyes of them both were open and they knew that they were what? Naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And what we have here is a form of godliness but denying the power of. See, there are many people that put on religion. There are many people that look like they should bear fruit you, you see them, you think, wow, they really got something. But then when you get close to them, you realize they just have a bunch of leaves and no fruit. They look like they should have fruit in their life. They look like they should be full of the power of God, but they're not. Why? Because what do they have? Religion. Religious spirit will kill the fruit in anybody's life, Okay. That's why we always stress abiding in Christ. Because if you don't abide in Christ, if you don't abide in him, if this whole thing that we're doing is not about him, you are cut yourself off 
from the supply that bears fruit. And all you will have is fig leaves doing nothing. Doing nothing. And so it reminds me of that scripture that I've quoted a couple times. They have a form of godliness, but deny the power of, or the power thereof. And so that's found in um, 2 Timothy 3, 5. That's what he was talking about, false teachers. They look like they're going to have something, and then nothing happens. You know how many meetings I've been to where like, come, come to this, everybody, come, God's going to do this, God's going to do that, everybody's going to worry, and you get there, it's just that there's nothing happens. Nothing happens in the meeting. But you've been getting Facebook invites and watching YouTube videos for three days, three weeks, telling you how good it's going to be, and when you get there, there's nothing there. There's no power. Fig leaves, man, a form of religion. So the way to escape that, the way to have something when Jesus approaches you and he's looking for fruit in your life is to abide, abide in him. Psalm 1 gives us a beautiful instruction on how to be fruitful for the Lord. Go with me there, Psalms chapter 1. Look at this. Psalm 1-3, those who abide in Jesus shall be like a tree planted by rivers of water and they bring forth his fruit in what? His season. And his leaf also shall not wither and whatsoever he does shall prosper. So God wants us to be planted. Planted, man. Planted. You can't be planted. You know, I know some people, that's why I was talking to, I think it was Larry and Lucille, Sister Lucille, when, you know, one of my heartbreaks here, man, is like, it seems like every time I turn around, there's a new church popping up. And you got the same people going for that church to that church, and then that church, that's the new kid on the block, that church. I, and I counted, because I know a few families in this neighbor, in this town, and I counted it, and I know a family that was in three churches in the space of five years. Three churches in five years. That's not planted. That is not planted. That's not what God wants for his people, man, all right? God wants his people to abide and be planted. It takes three years just, just, just for you to get to know me and realize what's good about me and what's not good about me, all right? And if I start, as soon as you find out what's not good about me, and then I think, ooh, I better get out of here. They're starting to catch on now. Well, how are you ever going to help me change? I need people to rub me the wrong way so it can show me what's wrong with me. What do I need to sack? What do I need to, you know, give up to God and say, Lord, get this out of my life? Planted. We need to be planted. Oh, God, plant your people, Lord, in this season. By what? Rivers. 
You got to have the Holy Ghost River running through your church, man. Praise God for the river that runs through our place. Hallelujah. I couldn't survive in a church without the river. I loved it back in the 90s, man. We called that move of God, we called it the river. You know, it was the river. Why? What was it? Because it was streams of refreshing. Why? Because we were so dry. We had the word, man. Man, we had the word of faith. But man, when we talked, dust came out of our mouth. So we had to have the new wine, man. We had to have the river of God to like take that word that was in us, man, and activate it, man. You know? Make it fun. The river of God made church fun. It's fun to be drunk, amen? It's fun to be drunk, but on the new wine, amen? On the new wine, not the old wine out there that they're still peddling out there in the bars, but to be filled and drunk on the new wine that comes from the fountain of the Holy Ghost. Let the river flow. You can't be planted you can't be plant, you can't get in the river if you're hopping from one to the other, to the other, to the other. It's just not gonna happen. The other thing is, uh, you know, planted by the rivers of water, and then he says, and it brings forth, look at that, in its season. There's a season for fruit to bear, come out in my life. There's a season when the leaves are coming, but the fruit's gonna get there. But if I, I got to wait, you know, can't be picking that fruit, can't, you know, can't be putting yourself, you know, pro, Bible says promotion comes from the Lord, you know, promotion comes from the Lord. If we always are trying to put ourselves in front of people and, 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 and put our gifts before men so that they will promote us, that's not good, man. God knows your name and he knows your gift. And he knows when to put both where he needs them when he sees fit, amen? And he will do it, trust me. If you're a yielding heart, if you, if you have that mindset that I will bear fruit in the right season, Lord, you won't have to advertise. God will put it where it needs, it'll come when it needs to come, amen? Praise God. All right, a few more verses here out of our text in Peter. Um, that's my little exhortation on being fruitful tonight. We don't want no fig leaf. We don't want no aprons, amen? No fig leaf aprons. Hallelujah. All right. So, now if we bear fruit, look at verse nine. But he that lacks these things, or he that lacks fruitfulness, lacks all the things that we discussed, the seven, the seven things that we add to faith. If we lack these things, they are blind and cannot see afar off and have forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. I'll read that again. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. You know, one of the things about being self-centered is you can't see very far. It's very hard to see the needs around you when you're so busy looking at yourself. 
You know, when, how many have ever taught their children how to drive? I'm telling you, as a parent, it's the worst thing I've ever done in my life. I'm serious. Teaching my kids how to drive has the worst thing I have ever done in my life. I'm glad I'm saved. That's all I can say. And it's a sacrifice. You know, it was back in the old days. Remember when we all had the emergency brake right there in the middle? Remember that handbrake? Why did they ever stop making that? Because I'll tell you, your faith will be tested if you ever teach a teenager how to drive when they're the only ones with the brake. The brake is all the way at the bottom underneath their foot, and you're sitting over here. Are you going to press that? I hate it. In England, they send them all to driving school. I sent one of my daughters to driving school. They sent her back and said, come back when your parents teach you how to drive. (laughs) What? I thought that's what your job was. No, we're the finishing school, they said. We're we're the finishing school. Oh, so my car goes, you know, okay. Anyway, I could preach on that for an hour, but I won't. But anyway, how did I get there? Oh, yeah. You know when you're teaching your kids to drive, they always want to look at the line, like right in front of them. And when you're trying to drive, you ever tried to drive a car? You ever tried to drive on 275 looking at the white line right there in front of the car? No, you don't, do you? Because if you did, it doesn't work. Why? You got to look where? Afar off. You know, when you're driving on that interstate, you need to be looking like way yonder. You know, you got to look afar off to keep a steady road, to keep, be a good driver. Your eyes are way up on the road. You know, every now and then, you know, checking what's around you, but you're looking way up. And that's what, and when, when, when we forget these things and we're blinded and we're self-centered, we cut off our ability to see afar off. And your Christian life kind of becomes like trying to drive, look, staring at that line right in front of you. You're all over the place. Pretty soon you're crashed up in a wall somewhere. Because these things that we talk about, when they are in our lives, when we're fruitful and when we're doing these things, What's the natural byproduct? You are no longer thinking about you. You actually begin to look at others. The natural byproduct is being fruitful, having virtue, having knowledge, having temperance, having godliness, brotherly kindness, charity, where those things are outward. They're out here. They help us look afar. Why? Because we're focusing on the world, the people around us. Verse 10 says, wherefore, The rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. That's a great promise. The Christian life does not have to be one of ups and downs. The Christian life is a life of victory. The Christian life is a life of freedom, man. You know, when we think of when the Bible says that 
He who the Son sets free is free indeed um, when it talks about having liberty. Amen? I was thinking about liberty. And early on in my Christian life, I used to think that God had set us free from things he didn't want me to do. Like, the, the, or, you know, the, we always think when we're coming into the Lord, like, you can't do this, you can't do that, and you can't do this, and you can't do that. And um, when you have liberty, you, the real word for liberty is the freedom to say no. Real liberty is saying no. I actually have the liberty to tell drugs and alcohol no. Why? Because they have no jurisdiction over me. They have no authority over me. I've been set at liberty, and now I have the liberty to say no. That's what America got when they told Britain no. You're going to pay taxes on this tea. No, I'm not. I'm at liberty to say I'm not doing that. See, the greatest expression of liberty is not saying um, you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't. It's saying I will not do that because I have liberty to say no to you. Amen? So I like the, I like, it's a, it's a slight twist on how you think and things, but it actually, that little twist is the difference between victory and just a constant struggle. You see, we've all been set at liberty from our body of sin and death, the Bible says. See, the body of sin and death always tries to drag us down, always tries to drag us back into the grave. You know, the desires of the flesh the different things that pull us down, the crazy thinking that sometimes we have, this thing that always wants to compare ourselves with one another. It's not wise, the Bible says. But the liberty that we have by the Spirit, it says, I'm not doing that because I said so. Because I have liberty to say no. I have authority over you. You don't have authority over me, amen? And that's what we got to watch in the, in the climate that we're in today. See, that's the problem. Your, our ability to say no is slowly but surely taken away from us. See, that's what real liberty is. The, li- the real definition of liberty is you being able to, to say no when someone says, you need to do this. No, I don't. Oh, okay, I guess you don't. That's liberty. All right? We often think liberty is, I want to do this, so I'm going to do it. All right? Well, that's, yeah, you can, you're, you're free to do that, and as long as you can keep doing what you want, you think you have liberty, because no one's telling you what to do, but what if somebody tells you that you have to do this, and then they try to make you think that you have to do it, you have no right to say no, that's, that's a whole nother ballgame. And that is the same thing in the spiritual battles that we have. The flesh, 
the carnal mind, the devil tries to come upon us and, and says, you have to do this. You have to do this. You have to think like this. You have to be sick because so-and-so. You have to be broke because so-and-so. You have to, you know, be depressed because so-and-so. Tries to make us think, and no, I'm at liberty to say, no, thank you. And that's real liberty. And so that's what we need to walk in, amen? And I'll tell you what, the season is now where we go out, and that's the message we take out to the world, okay? Because that's what the world needs. The world needs liberty, man. The world needs real freedom. You know, I heard silly pop singer the other day try to convince people that her depression is something that is, it's, it's my depression, and I've just learned to cope with it, but it's mine, and, and I'm just learning to cope with it. No, that's a lie from hell. The devil is trying to sell people a bag of goods that what they have is actually theirs. No, this is yours. You can have it back, thank you. I don't want it back. I'm not taking it back. It don't even belong to me. You don't even have jurisdiction over me. I have a liberty to say, get out, devil, and don't come back again. Praise God. Get out of my bank account. Get out of my body. Get out of my family. Don't come back again. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Can you shout out to the Lord? Amen. Praise God. Thank you, Pastor. That's a good place to stop.